night, I'm introducing you to see. All right, so this will be an introduction. But what I'm meaning is introduction. I'm just kind of telling you about what does prophecy do and why look at prophecy. And I told you about about a third of the Bible was prophecy. Dealing with prophecy is God speaking of what will happen and some of the things that he set forth to happen. And in the courtroom scene that he's doing that in in uh, chapter 41, when he calls their idols and say produce you, they'll tell what the former things or some of the things going to happen because that's what he did. He had told things was going to happen, plus he's in control of those very things happening. And that's why, you know, I believe the, one of the reasons I believe the Bible because if you look at some of the things that's said in the Bible, some of the prophecies in the Bible and the prophecies about the Messiah, uh, the odds of those things coming true are someone just guessing them if these people wasn't on the same page as just the prophets and the apostles and all of the writers of the Bible wasn't on the same page. Uh, we couldn't imagine the chances of these things coming to pass or happening to say they was. And it's like we remember when our parents told us something or whatever. As we get older, we start seeing happening, you know, it coming true or what they said was true. You, when if you are if you have a per if you're a person of conscience and looking for the truth or whatever, you remember things people said to you or remember the things that happened. And that's when you look back and say, well, you know, it's, my mother told me this, and my father. Or someone told me this, you know, I remember talking a discussion, arguing with my boss man over the Sabbath there or whatever, and I didn't see it at that time, but thank God it shed a little bit more light on it for me today or whatever. But a person that's given to speaking things that you see that come true and that they had some sort of insight, and here it's the case of God proving himself or one of the ways that he shows them himself to be God as to what came about and these people that were speaking these prophecies most of them if not all of the prophets had little or no idea of how and when God would fulfill some of the prophecies that they were speaking you know what God had inspired them to say or whatever it was some 145 years in the future before Cyrus came to being and fulfilled the prophecy of the man named Cyrus doing these things. And so the prophets had no idea of what they were talking or what they were saying, but it was by the inspiration of God's word that they said these things and they were penned. And uh, we're seeing Daniel as a classic example. Though the angels explained the prophecies to him, he still did not understand the prophecies. Prophecy has to be explained. Uh, there's more to God's word, and that's where the historical books, uh, some of the other things of parts of the Bible, come into being. At that's where the people that are uh, novice are just coming into the church. A lot of people like to hear prophecy and talk about revelations or whatever. If you don't understand what the other 65 books of the Bible are talking about, there's no way you can go into Revelations and hear prophecy and determine then on from a reasonable spiritual point of view 
that this is true or whatever because it starts at Genesis. A lot of that you have to know from the book of Genesis that's what's contained in the book of Revelations. Uh, Daniel said, although I heard, I did not understand. That's Daniel's 12th chapter and the 8th through the 9th verse. Daniel said he heard and he seen these things. He said, then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. So all of that, that was a lot of that prophecy that's coming true now. And it's a lot of it that I use nowadays and I see about the rock that was cut out without hands. And that was a prophecy of the Messiah's coming true as it's coming true now, whatever. We have a greater understanding as to what Daniel was prophesying. And the book of Daniel was a seal prophecy. It's a seal book. Notice that it says, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the end of time. But if you notice in the book of Revelations, it says there's a blessing to the people that even read or hear the reading of the book of the Revelations. Read to them. Now, that's not just reading with just hearing it, but with the ears to hear where the blessing comes in at. But that book is a sealed book that has to be revealed. And that's what the, you, you hear a lot of times people use the word apocalypse, uh, apocalyptic. Uh, the apocalypse, the book of Revelations is the book of revealing where these things are real, revealed. But if you notice the superscripture in the, in the book of Revelations, that it's the revelations of Jesus Christ, not of John, but that Jesus told and gave unto John to give to the messengers of the church. And so it's a revealing of Jesus Christ. These things are revealed by Jesus Christ. And the book of 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, eight through the, the eighth verse says, For charity never faileth, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues. They shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But love never fails, it never fades nor ends. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for the gift of special knowledge, it will pass away. All the special gifts and powers from God, this is the living version. And that was the Amplified Version. The first version was the King James Version. The second was the Amplified Version. This is the Living Version. It says, All the special gifts and powers from God will someday come to an end. But love goes on forever. Some days prophecies and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge, these things will disappear. But love will never disappear. And I told you, like I thought, with the gift of tongues, that was for the infantile church. That was for the church in its emphasis stage as they were spreading about the gospel, as the gospel were going into new eras or whatever. I believe in the gift of tongues, but I don't believe it's a gift that's in operation in the church the way it, today as it was then. Those are one of the gifts I think as we see these prophecies, this is one of the prophecies that's being fulfilled that the gifts of tongues would vanish away that gift really is no longer actually needed we see where that gift may have been one of the ones that's false said will vanish away 
prophecies will vanish, it says, will come to an end. We'll see where uh, all uh, a great majority of the prophecies of the Old Testament have been fulfilled, a great deal of them being fulfilled. So there's not very many prophecies to be fulfilled. Prophecies has a time of its fulfillment being come to pass. So what happens when all of these prophecies come to pass? Those prophecies was just there for the help establishing of the word of God, establishing of the people to know the Messiah and to realize who God was. By prophecy and the word of prophets, the prophets, we understand who God is. That's why I say that what prophecy was given because if you're a person of learning, understanding, or had your spiritual understanding open, you would see that this couldn't happen in no other religion or no other way that this could have happened or thus prophesy or say things that come to pass like this. And if one prophecy fails or whatever, we know that that's a false prophet. I was and uh, hopefully we could continue on from right here. But uh, I'm sorry for that interruption there. Uh, I was talking about uh, Daniel being a prophet and that a dream is not necessarily your dreams and things. They come from different places. And, and that if we could continue on here from prophecy. Peter says the marginal reference of it said we have a more sure word of prophet. Uh, he means that prophecy is more sure than our eyewitness accounts because the four gospels, the, all four gospels are true, but they have three called synoptic gospels. And of those three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, John is not one of the synoptic gospels, but you have different versions of eyewitnesses' accounts in those Gospels, not that am one of them is not the truth. All of them are the truth. But the thing is, it's from that person's viewpoint of that person's perspective. Mark was written from Mark's perspective. Matthew from Matthew's perspective. Luke was from a, a accounting of what they said and told him and some of the things that he witnessed with the Apostle Paul. All of those, even people say, well, you, you didn't see courtroom scenes or whatever. And a lot of people say, well, eyewitness accounts is extremely unreliable. Well, this eyewitness accounts are reliable. It's just from a different perspective. But let me not say it's confusing, but the word of God combines all three of them. And some people speculate in different ways of what should go in the gospel and what should go out of the gospel. But let not any of the eyewitness accounts that they're not contradictory. But since it's from that individual's perspective of that person's viewpoint, it's not like the word of God when it gives a prophecy or gives a prophet prophesies that prophet prophesies exactly what God told him to say whereas God allowed them to have that perspective on that, that on those eyewitnesses accounts even though that they spoke the truth but it was from their perspective but prophecy comes from God's perspective 
That's why Peter said there's a more sure word of prophecy. So when he said about Cyrus and he called Cyrus by name, some of the other prophecies that has been said, those surely shall come to pass as this way it should happen and these things should happen. But we notice with the Apostle Paul and when they were saying the apostles thought that Jesus would come back during their time or whatever. And I told you, a lot of them hadn't wrote it down, but after 40 or 50 years and they started to get old and about to die out or whatever, he started putting it down because Paul realized that it, it wasn't going to be happening in his time and he started saying that that time wasn't about to happen or whatever, but they thought it was going to be right then at that time, just like right now. I, I, I'm surmising and I'm thinking that Jesus Christ would come before my time, before I leave, before I pass. But then, not that prophecies won't be fulfilled or whatever, but that's from my perspective and that's what I think of it. The apostles changed that. The apostles start looking further. And that's why Jesus says, no man know the time of the day or the hour. And so I don't say I know the time, but according to prophecy, the way the prophets, prophecies has been fulfilled, there's not very much more to be fulfilled before Jesus does come back. It's in a, it's in a position where these things can quickly, this prophecy, these prophecies can be quickly fulfilled because there's only a few more to be fulfilled before the completion of time because I do think we're in the time of the Gentiles. But that's from a perspective. That's why you have so many different religions and so many different people saying things because it's how they're looking or interpreting things to be. That's how they're interpreting. That's the way they see it. So that's why the Bible, that's why Peter says, it's no up the Bible is no of any private interpretation. So that's why when you hear these televangelists, all these people saying what they think, well, that's just their opinion. That's what they think. But they can't go beyond what the Bible tells you definitely what is so or whatever. But they have an idea. So a lot of people going with what people say that they, they believe their perspective or whatever. But the revelation of Jesus Christ comes to us individually or whatever. That's why we have different feelings as we grow closer to it. And the different people of God has an inward perspective on these things. Revelations 1 through 1, 1 through 3. It's, this book reveals some of the future activities soon to occur in the life of Jesus Christ. God permitted him to reveal these things to his servant John in a vision. And then an angel was sent from heaven to explain the vision's meaning. John wrote it all down, the words of God and Jesus Christ and everything he heard and saw. And it's, the Living Bible says, if you read this prophecy aloud to the church, you will receive a special blessing from the Lord. Those who listen to it being read and do what it says will also be blessed. But the time is near when these things will all come true. So he's saying that at this time, during this last days, just listening to it, as I told you earlier, and if you're able to comprehend and understand, there's even a blessing in that. And I'll put that under the one of the points that I'll talk about, Saturday, is prudence. 
being prudent and understanding. And that's one thing about it. Studying God's word and praying and living in the presence of God's word. It makes one prudent. But in our day-to-day activities and things and of all our things that we're doing, if, if we're not able to practice the presence of the Lord and we have so many other things coming in, it intrudes upon our personal spiritual perspective and we hadn't been able to develop the prudence of the where to to stay focused and to stay in the spirit. That's why some people can pray all times and pray without ceasing and still do their day-to-day chores and their day-to-day work. But it requires a strong focus upon God where he permeates your whole being. Uh, the Amplified, it says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, his unveiling of the divine mysteries, which God the Father gave him to show to his bondservants, that is, to the believers, things which must soon take place in their entirety. In other words, the balance of what's supposed to take place. And like I said, if you prayed up, if you're walking in, and if you're chosen, and if, if God had spiritually equipped you as one of the ones, you'll start understanding the prophecies and the fulfilling of those prophecies. He says, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. He testified and gave supporting evidence to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to everything that he saw, in other words, of the visions that God had given him. You remember the vials and of the bowls being poured out to come to a correct understanding of that. But like I say, listening at different people and different things, blessed, uh, happy, uh, prosperous is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and who keep the things which are written in it. In other words, heeding them and taking them to heart for the time of its fulfillment is near. So Jesus Christ is the revelator. He's the one that received this revelation from God. God gave him this revelation of end times event to <coughs> to give to John, the rev- to give to John. And John delivered it to the churches. He delivered this these revelations of end times event to the church that Jesus had gave to him. He wants us to be informed so we might be motivated to keep his words. And I told you, just like with Abraham, he says he wasn't going to keep from Abraham what he was about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see in the New Testament where he says, you are my friends. And he was, he a friend know what another friend is going to do, you know. If somebody is one of your close friends and you're in a circle, they know about more about what you're doing and the things that's going on with you than somebody that really don't know you, a person that's outside of the loop, you know. And if a person's your friend, you tell him intimate details or intimate things that you're about to do a thing that's going on in your life, but that will happen, uh, that that's going on. And this helps a person when you feel that you in the inner circle, that you know you part of this happening, and you part of what's allowing this or bringing this to pass. 
God does not intend prophecy to be just an intriguing bit of information or knowledge a knowledge that we might glory in but do nothing about. So it's a lot of people that hear 666 and hear all of these prophecies and different things. Well, you know, those are the people I really don't want anything to do with outside of the church. Well, you don't go to church, but you asking me about some market or beast, so you asking me about prophecies. Some. You just want to, you just like a, a, a gossip or something. You just want to hear some good news. You just want to hear things. You just intrigued by this, but this is not part of what you need to know. This is not necessary for you to know or whatever. God given this for a special purpose. That's why it says to those that have ears to hear. And if you're if you're not a strong Christian, a prudent Christian, you're not narrowing your your feel of people that just come to you with any kind of foolishness. Any of your friends, any people just live around you, just impede upon you and bring you and could take you in, in in any direction with foolishness and with nonsense and wasting of your time. But if they know you a person, a person of God, and know that that authority that you walk with, that's what keeps people off you. That anointing, that's what keeps people back. That's why when the prophets would come to town, people were very fearful or scared. But if you got people that just impinged up on you, they're not afraid of you. The devil is not afraid of you. But if he knows that you're a son of God, if you know that you're a true child of God, people watch how they approach children of God or those that are men of God, a true person of God. You have to be doers of his word. Doing his word means to overcome and grow in character and in wisdom and understanding in our effectiveness of revealing God in our lives and living by every word of God. Sitting down talking to my uncle yesterday, well, my wife's uncle, and me and him talked a good while while I was waiting on the discharge of my wife yesterday afternoon. And it's a lot less people doing the word of God, and the more people that waste your time today is mostly church people. The church has apostatized, and as I told you before, I hadn't finished that article. There are more scared and pathetic men in the world today. That's the problem. Are so many scared men? How can you soar with the eagles if, if you're walking with turkeys or whatever? You have to start. That's why Paul was alone. He didn't vanquish John Mark. He said, bring John Mark. He could use John Mark. But Paul went to some dangerous territory, and Paul was a true a, a true strong apostle but notice that he didn't take John Mark with him and that was the dispute between him and Barnabas that he didn't want to take John Mark with him you know it's a lot of people uh, and I was telling my uncle it's a lot of men that I don't deal with because you know that these are scared men these men don't have any courage or any, any uh, will to do God's word or whatever uh, verse 1 opens the book with the words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. In a sense, the Apostle John is merely a witness, an observer of the visions and saying that we find within those these 22 chapters. One who faithfully wrote them down for the instruction, 
preparation and edification of the church. That's what John did. He compiled them. And that's what he did. And I was telling you earlier about the word apocalypse means the unveiling or the disclosure or revelation, which is just the opposite of what people suppose it to mean. Now, you remember, I told you Daniel was a sealed book that he said close up the books and understanding was to be thing closed. But in this last time, this is the unveiling. This is the apocalypse. The book is not intended to be a collection of arcane prophecies or mysteries or symbols and warnings, but an uncovering of knowledge about things which must shortly come to pass. And that's why I told you, it's going to move these, this end times going to move fairly rapidly. It's not going to happen. Just, it's, it's going to be a short time. And that's why it says days instead of weeks and things because it's going to move very rapidly. As verse 1 maintains, the Father gave the contents of revelation to Jesus Christ, who as head of the church passed them on to his disciple John, and so that they would have all the facts that God allowed the imminent, about the imminent future. So he'd given them all of the facts about what was about to happen so that they can tell the people to prepare them and that's what the church is it's in preparation it's preparing for its return it's getting ready for its return and by the events that's going and taking place we're able to judge about where we are in time where, where we are on the time continuum God does not desire the book of revelations to be a frustrating impenetrable enigma but as a gift of his grace, sharing a privilege of information. And that's why the people that talk about the book of Revelations, like I said, you have a lot of newcomers and you have Hal Lindsey and the late great planet Earth and Left Behind and all these people. Though This is commercialism. All of this way of thinking wasn't even here in the 1920s and, and, and the 1800s and things. All of this is for money and for the sale of books and to, to get get mama out of it. It's not to educate and strengthen the church. God's preachers and the word of God is what strengthens the church. And we're seeing the commercialism of the church. And that's why I said that we can see that we're in the midst of the apostasy. We should guard the truth. Uh, uh, Revelation 19, chapter 9 through 10, verse. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do not do it. I am a fellow servant and of thine brethren that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. In the Amplified Version it reads, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he further said to me, These are the true and exact words of God. Then I fell down to worship him, 
But he stopped me and said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who who have and hold the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's one difference, and that's what I said. So when people say you worship the ground somebody walks on or you worship in another individual or whatever. Now we know you know that individual is of God because you don't worship anyone but God. Notice that this angel wouldn't, this messenger wouldn't allow this worship to occur because preachers and people and, you know, you got women that have men that just fall and fall at their feet and that's some of the words that chant and enchant and mesmerize and all these things. These words are reserved and you've made them your idols. You shouldn't worship nobody above God. And a woman is just like any other woman. That's why he was telling Mary, they say, blessed are you above all women. No, she's like all other women. We're all the same. If not, we're showing partiality. That's nepotism when you show partiality to those in your family or whatever. That's why Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother and sister? But those that do the will of the Father. We're all the same. Why would you worship another man? Why would you worship a woman? This is not allowed. God, the angel wouldn't allow this. He says, don't do this. See that you not do it. I'm another fellow heir just like you. Worship God alone. For the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. That is, his life and teachings are at the heart of prophecy. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's the heart of prophecy. This whole thing is about Jesus Christ. Prophecy plays a large part in our lives. So a Christian should understand more than just the bare basics. We should be further than that, and the churches hadn't got much further than that. That's why I say we need to be taught many more days and nights than we are we we have, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And, you know, and I do see a time coming when there'll be many nights or days that we're able to teach and have different schools and classes because. There's a hunger for God's word and to know the things of God, but the people that that shun church or shun hearing the word of God, they don't have a hunger or thirst for the things of God. But that's why I say there are different levels in God. There are different ways of faith, levels of faith that we rise to in God. Verse 10 lets us know that Jesus' message, the gospel, is not only prophetic, but it's the essence of all biblical prophecy. It are the scriptures of those that testify of Jesus Christ. That's the essence of this whole thing. It's all about Jesus Christ. Testimony means a statement given by witness to an event. It is frequently associated with evidence during a court trial, but is not limited to that. It's not limited to a court trial. And that's what I told you for chapter 41 of Isaiah. It's like it's a court trial. There's an indictment being brought against the world and against all of the other nations. And God's saying present your cause, present your evidence. And part of being a prophet of prophecy what he's asking them to do. Well prophesize. Tell me what's going to happen and tell me about these things and, and where has where does this go 
in the timeline if you are God of you, if these are gods that you know of. Newspapers give fence and give accounts of what people say of some, some event that occurred of interest to others. But, and that's why I give y'all, I was telling you about Christian nationalism and I gave you those events or those articles, those are for you to learn from and to, to reap more toward what's going on in the church and how we're lining up in prophecy. Jesus' statement, the gospel is the message he preached during his lifetime. That was That's what the good news is. The gospel is the coming of the kingdom of God that he had died for you and placed us back in proper standing with God. It, it, it is that message around which all biblical prophecy revolves. It is the prophet's heart and core. Spirit in this context means the essence of prophecy, the essence of what the core, what prophecy really is, and it's of Jesus Christ. It's the spirit. That's where that comes from, the nucleus, may I say, the the center of it. Therefore, anybody looking forward to Christ's return, that is, the Christians, the church, should have more than a casual interest in prophecy. So that's why I told you it's a third of the book, but you should have a great interest in prophecy. I'm not saying that you should be obsessed with it, uh, but that you have a great interest in it because it can help establish you. Most of us pay more attention to the prophecy than to the prophet. This is as it should be, but on the other hand, Ephesians 2, 19 through 20 says, Now therefore you, the brethren, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets and the, the words that they wrote. That's what the foundations of the church is. That's what it's built on. That's why I say this is the sure word. Of, okay. They not only prophesied, that is, they not only foretold events, but they also gave the most accurate accounts of ancient history. If we go back and look through ancient history as to what has occurred or whatever, we'll see that the prophets, that the Bible had spoke about these events long before they unfolded. Long before they unfolded. In addition, they gave us a great deal of the doctrine, the teachings, we believe in after we, which we pattern our lives. And that's what I said. <clears throat> because of prophecy, it has made such a change in my life because I see how much of it has been fulfilled in that of the, how great are chances of this being true. No other thing that I can look at that I can say that I would stake my life on their being a God because of these reasons. Prophecy is one of those reasons. Prophecy. The angel uses an interesting combination of words to describe the gospel. He says the gospel is prophetic. 
the gospel is prophetic within itself. He calls the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of the kingdom of God, he calls that the spirit of prophecy. He calls that the spirit of prophecy. Now, spirit is used here in the sense of the character, of the nature of the nature of a thing. It's used here the character of the nature of a thing. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the nature of prophecy. And I told you that that was the true essence of God, of what God is, and that's how Jesus Christ came. Another English word, uh, essence. Do you know what essence is? What a thing truly is? Uh, this is the true makeup of what this is. This is the core of it. The word essence is what it really is. What a thing is it's really made of. It's the makeup of something. What is the makeup of it? Perfume sometimes is called an essence. In other words, an invisible but substance and beautiful fragrance that is its nature. That's what perfume is. The essence of, of this you, you might understand that, Sister Harris, or maybe if I say cologne. Perfume is sometimes called an essence. You didn't hear perfume called an essence. And invisible, but you smell it. You know, you, 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 then you ask, what is that perfume? What is that you got on? You can't see it, but it's a substance. It's, it's the makeup. Am I getting through to you here? Essence means the nature of, like the word character. And that's what I told you. It's all about character. What is the nature? What is your nature? What is your makeup? We, We have to be made in the image of Jesus Christ and the likeness. In other words, we have to have his character, his likeness. If that's not our makeup, if that's not the essence of who we are, we won't be able to enter the kingdom of God because we have to be made in his likeness and in his, in, in his image. So that's what he is. That's why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was of the essence of the Father. You understanding me a little bit better now? In other words... Everything that's in you that's not like God has to be purged out. God is love, and therefore we become love, or we should be becoming love. That that's our essence. In other words, that's part of our makeup. And it's, it would have to be true love. It would have to be truly what it is. That's why. Our character, it says the old man must die. We can have none of that bitter hating or other things of the works of the flesh. None of that can be in us. It's a process where he's purging us and he's making us in his image and his likeness. In other words, his character, he's making us just like him. Now, we can't be just like he was in the essence that 
he was the only begotten of the Father. In other words, he was taken out of the Father, but we are created beings and he wasn't a created being. Even though he came through his mother, but he didn't have the blood of man in him. He had the nature of his, his father, which was spirit essence, which was spirit. It also means the main part, the heart and core of the real and ultimate nature of a thing. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the real and ultimate nature of prophecy, meaning that all prophecy points toward the conclusion of the gospel. Everything in God's purpose points in that direction. When prophecies are given, they speak of things that are yet future and unfulfilled. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the very essence, the heart and core of the nature of these future events. Everything points toward him. He's the finished product. And when he finishes, that's why he told his father, it is finished. He had concluded it and all things were in him. He's the center that God is. The gospel, whatever its message, is focused on the future. And that's why we hear him always talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That's good news there. The kingdom of God's coming. The kingdom of God's among us. We then cannot relegate the future aspects of the gospel into a low place of importance without destroying the heart and core of the message that Jesus Christ brought, brought here through that. Isaiah 44 and 28. Here's a verse. Isaiah 44 and 28. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, my ruler, and he will carry out all that I desire, saying, Jerusalem, she shall again be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid again. Now, Isaiah said that in chapter 44. He was talking about Cyrus in chapter 41. But Isaiah lived some 145 years before Cyrus. But he's saying that all of this is going to be done through Cyrus. He's calling Cyrus' name some 145 years earlier. What are the chances of that happening? That this goes through that very king, Cyrus. We read in the book of Ezra, I don't know how many of us read the book of Ezra very much, but Ezra, he was a scribe. The first chapter of Ezra, the first through the second verse, states that Cyrus issues a decree to free the Jews in the first year of his reign over Babylon. You remember, he had said that Cyrus was going to destroy Babylon. Now this was some hundred and something years before they ever went into captivity that he was talking about Cyrus because they hadn't went into captivity yet. And we learned through this that the captivity was going to be 70 years. Listen at this. Since Cyrus conquered Babylon on October 12, 539 B.C. is when Cyrus conquered Babylon. The first year of his reign was 539 through 538 B.C. So God through Isaiah named him at least 143 years before this happened because Isaiah lived during the 700th century B.C. 
What God did through Cyrus also fulfills a prophecy made through Jeremiah. That's Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, 11 through the 14th verse, sometime during the century following Isaiah's death, that he was speaking through Jeremiah. Now, why do I say about Jeremiah? Let me read what Jeremiah said. I, I, I'm not going to complete all this tonight anyhow, but let me read what Jeremiah said. And, and he says, And this whole land shall be a desolation and astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. And it shall come to pass when seventy years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans and will make it a perpetual desolation. And I will bring upon it the land all my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah had prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall serve them, selves of them also, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to their words that they speak of their hands, the word, the deeds of their hands. Sorry. Now, this is what Jeremiah said. Now, you remember, Jeremiah was a prophet that lived after Isaiah, but before the captivity, before the Babylonian captivity. And he was prophesying to them to go into captivity. That's one of the reasons they throwed him in the mire and all of these things. Now, to show you about prophecy and how prophecy worked, this 70 years captivity, what, does, what, does, what else that makes you think of since we're talking about prophecy? If we would read Daniel, I think it's Daniel about the ninth chapter, we'll see where when Daniel said that he was reading the scriptures, but Daniel was studying, and that's when he was praying. He said, we have sinned and the people have sinned because he, they were nearing the end of that 70-year captivity that Jeremiah had prophesied. That's the book that Jeremiah, I mean, Daniel was reading. He was reading the book of Jeremiah and he seen that the captivity was going to last for 70 years. That's where he learned that from, the prophecy of Jeremiah. And that's why Daniel was doing that and speaking that, that they was going to go back at that time. So you see what effect prophecy have on people? That's why we go back, there's so many nuggets in here. That, that helped him during, during that time. He knew it was, it was about the time for the captivity to come to an end because it was going to be 70 years. Ezra distinctly says that God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus to perform this and that Cyrus claimed that God had commanded him. And if you read Isaiah, you read some of the other books, you'll see that Cyrus says that God had stirred him up and he called Cyrus his servant. God had stirred his spirit. That's why Paul tell, told Timothy to stir up the spirit that's in you. I read a book, a group of books by C. Scott Peck, The Road Less Travel, Farther Down the Road Less Travel. It had three or four books in that series of The Road Less Travel. But God put something in each person, and there's a hope, a person knowing a lot of times you can kind of sense what God had put in you or, or what's in you, that God has a special thing in your life or what God has for you. 
But those are the ones that God had printed that on their DNA that God had knew that he would rise it up. You know that there's a special, just like Moses' parent realized that he was a special child. They saw something and knew something different for him. Well, Moses wasn't no grown man. He couldn't realize that from just looking at him as a child. It was something, some spirit that God stirred up in him. That's why we talk about faith in the spirit of faith. I mean, we talk about having faith and walking by faith and the inspiration of God and God stirring our spirit. Ezra 1 and 5 states that God also stirred up the spirit of the Jews, the Levites, and the Benjamites to return to Jerusalem to build the temple, confirming his sovereignty over the affairs. That's what I say. God stirs up people in different things for times. And I tell you at the beginning of this Arab Spring that it will eventually get to this nation. Now, I really don't believe that we have any hopes of another presidency. Now, what president may, if the election do go off or whatever, because Biden is not a choice. Trump's not a choice. Whoever from the Democrats and the Republicans who ever run, I don't think that they would be real choices. That's why I say I think we're coming very near toward the end. I mean, what hopes do we have as a nation? Uh, Second Peter, I told you about the more sure word of prophecy there. Uh, Peter refers to what he, James, and John saw and heard on the Mount of Transfiguration when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So he means that prophecy is more sure than an eyewitness account because on that mountain of transfiguration, they didn't quite understand what was going on. And Jesus told them, see that you tell no man about this until after his resurrection or whatever he had. He had told him not to even mention that at that time or whatever. Uh, Romans, the 10th chapter, the second through the third verse, he said, If I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Uh, I wrote it in the Amplified Version also. It says, For I testify about them that they have a certain enthusiasm for God, but not in accordance with correct and vital knowledge about Him and His purposes, for not knowing about God's righteousness, which is based on faith, and seeking to establish their own righteousness based on works. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Uh, the Pharisees are an example of this. Someone was seeking to establish their own righteousness during their time. And I think we have more Christians in the church nowadays going about seeking to establish their own righteousness. They're not establishing the righteousness by faith. And that's a, I say we can see how the church has apostatized. And that's this thing, Christian nationalism, which you hear a lot of politicians and people talking about today we're witnessing the rise of antichrist antichrist will come as christians it's this is going to be the other jesus 
and this nation is the perfect Babylon. It's it's a perfect nation of idol worshippers and people that don't have a vital knowledge of God that can do more harm than good. Thinking they're doing God a favor, thinking that they serve God. That's why he said he could say, Well, didn't we feed the need in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? It's the church that's going to counterfeit God. That's why Jesus said he's going to rise up. In the book of Revelations, he, he noticed that he consistently says he was going to rise up and fight against the church unless they repent. In the same way the Pharisees approached God's laws, first century Jews dealt with prophecy. And that's one of the errors that they didn't know the time of his coming. Just like a lot of us don't know the timing or what side to be on or what. Of, he says, my par- people perish because of the lack of knowledge. But those that are not perishing, there will be some that are arrogant and that are puffed up. A little knowledge had puffed them up, but it wasn't knowledge according to God. It was self-knowledge. It was the wisdom of the world. It was the preachers that gave them a false knowledge, but it was the ministers of Satan that was transformed into ministers of light. We can see this in the Jews' reactions to the Messiah. and We also can see this in the people's reaction to the oppression that's going on in the land today and the way people react to what's right and how quick they love and embrace what's wrong and hatred and bitterness and lying and deception. That's what the church is embracing today. A major theme in the Old Testament is the coming of the Messiah. And that's what we're looking at now, the coming of Christ. We're looking at the coming of Christ. That should be the theme, but we're missing that because most Christians are that the false apostatized church are happy with the world the way it is and they're happy if this nation could become you know the leader of all nations why because it's corrupt and they're living the life now they're not looking for a future even though they talk about the rapture and the future their hearts are far from God their mouths are saying different things but they're a hypocritical nation for Genesis 3.15 through Malachi 4.2, prophecies of, prophesies of the coming of the Savior feel God's word. The gospel writers show time and time again how Jesus fulfilled the prophet's prediction in his actions or in the actions of those around him. Matthew especially makes a conscious point to highlight many Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' time. Uh, Thus the Jews had the prophecies of God's word as well as the life and words of Jesus, their God, just like the church has that nowadays, but they're blind to it. They they don't have ears to hear. They don't have eyes to see. They're lacking understanding. Did the Jews need anything more to realize who Jesus was? No. Paul says avoiding submitting to God's knowledge instead they established their own and that's how this nation and that's how I see the world today they are prideful people establishing them on, their own self 
It's a self-centered world, and that's why they chose a self-centered leader, and they're looking for someone else that's self-centered, that looks at self, and that is the worst thing that's against God. I'll close at 2 Thessalonians here. 2 Thessalonians, 2 chapter 1 through 9. Now in regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to meet him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly unsettled or alarmed either by so-called prophetic revelations or spirit of message or letter alleged to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord had already come. Because there were some people, um, Homodulus and Phileas, who was preaching that the resurrection had already passed. And they were preaching different things. He says, let no one in any way deceive and trap you, for that day will not come unless the apostasy, and you keep hearing me say that word apostasy, that's a falling away from uprightness. That's not falling away from the church, but that's the church falling away from true doctrine, from true teaching from the word of God, from what God really meant for the church to be. The apostasy comes first, that is the great rebellion, the abandonment of the faith by professed Christians. And that's why Jude says you need to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. He says, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, the antichrist, the one who is destined to be destroyed, who opposes and exalts himself so proudly and so insolently above every so-called God or object of worship so that he actually takes his seat in the temple of God publicly claiming that he himself is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I was telling you these things and you know what restrains him now from being revealed? It is so that he will be revealed at his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness, that is, rebellion against divine authority and the coming reign of lawlessness, and, and that's what I was telling you about this, res, this insurrection on January 6th where they tried to overthrow the, overthrow the democratic rule of the United States of America. That was a defining point in history and in religious times what we see in the fall of this nation. We actually, those that were spiritual, seen what the greatest percentages of this nation was built of. is already at work, uh, but it is restrained only until he now who restrains is taken out of the way then the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, will be revealed and the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to an end by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the Antichrist is one is through the activity of Satan with great power and counterfeit signs and miracles and deceptive signs and false wonders. All of them lies. Though Paul wrote these things, these words nearly 2,000 years ago, we should not let anybody deceive us. And that is, during this time, be not deceived. And remember the words of God says, the de devil deceiveth the whole world. He goeth about to deceive all of the nations. Prophecy can be fulfilled very quickly, and God is busy laying the groundwork for the fulfillment of these end-time prophecies right now. When everything is in place, it will happen 
very swiftly. As sovereign over all, God has no maneuver. God has to maneuver events and people into place before they come to pass. Everything's going to be put in a proper place, so we should be watching carefully. If we are not watching carefully, the events that form the groundwork can slip right by us. We can be caught up in this before it even comes about, and we're being went down the wrong trail, the trail of destruction. 